Are you an EMDR therapist and parent who wants to make more money, have more time with your family, and get better results with your clients? Welcome to the Future Template Parent Podcast. I'm your host, Carolyn Solo, LCSW, EMDR consultant, business coach, and mom of three kids under seven. I realized that the grind of weekly sessions was taking a massive toll on my ability to be the kind of parent and therapist I wanted to be. So I dove headfirst into learning about intensives. I read all the books and articles and did all the trainings. Now I've transformed my schedule, my income, and my clinical outcomes by offering intensive EMDR in my practice. I want to teach you how to do this too, so you can build a practice you love and spend more quality time with your family. Let's create the future template for your life as a parent and as a therapist. Hi, and welcome to episode eight of the Future Template Parent Podcast. Thank you for joining me for this episode. I'm your host, Carolyn Solo, and today's episode is going to focus on the recent traumatic event protocol call protocol, or RTEP, and how I use this protocol to plan and focus most of my intensives. I'll tell you about what RTEP is, a little bit about what the protocol entails, and then why I use it for intensives and some examples of how I've done so. So let's get into it. So what is RTEP? So RTEP, it's an acronym, stands for Recent Traumatic Event Protocol. This protocol was first developed in 2001 by Francine Shapiro herself, and then modified and refined by Elon Shapiro and Brurit, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, Brurit Lauber, clinicians and researchers from Israel. You probably heard of RTEP during your basic training, maybe even have used it before, but it was developed as a way to ideally process recent traumas to prevent them from developing into kind of full-on PTSD. So. RTEP, along with other early intervention models, and here I'm going to hit you with some acronyms. The first other early intervention model is the ASSIST, A-S-S-Y-S-T, which stands for Acute Stress Syndrome Stabilization Protocol, the ISP, which is the Immediate Stabilization Protocol, and the PRESI, which is the Protocol for Critical Incidents and Ongoing Traumatic Stress. All of these uh, models are considered EEIs, EMDR early interventions. And so the intent behind all of these protocols, like I said, is to potentially prevent the development of PTSD by addressing the traumatic uh, experience relatively early, as in like not 20 years after it's happened, and also to treat symptoms that have emerged. Because of course, just because something happened you know, two months ago, and you maybe don't meet the criteria for PTSD, you could still have symptoms. Um, The PRESI and the ASSIST protocol, both of which also inform how I plan intensives, were both developed by Dr. Ignacio, or also called Nacho Herrera. Dr. Herrera has also developed versions of PRESI and ASSIST that can be used in group interventions, which is pretty phenomenal. Not everybody knows that there's actually some group traumatic intervention, EMDR uh, protocols. One of the ideas that has informed me the most from Dr. Harero's model is the idea of ongoing traumatic stress. Um, So PRESI stands for Protocol for Critical Incidents and Ongoing Traumatic Stress. Sort of the ongoing traumatic stress part was added. And in a lot of ways, PRESI is similar to RTEP, the protocol is similar. But I love that idea of ongoing traumatic stress because 
well, not, I don't love the idea of it, but it's a very good conceptualization because many of the experiences intensive clients come in with, to me, qualify as ongoing traumatic stress, as in they're still experiencing the effects in the present, right? If the primary issue the client comes in with is still quite present in their lives, um, for example, maybe somebody was held up at gunpoint, you know, a year ago and is experiencing flashbacks and is still feeling like it's really, really hard for them to, you know, walk home alone, that would be sort of the definition of ongoing traumatic stress that experience could fall under that definition. So you can see how that might be something that an intensive client would come in with and how this idea of ongoing traumatic stress could be really, really helpful. So Dr. Amanda Roberts, in her 2018 article titled EMDR, EMDR Early Intervention, which was published in Embryo's Go With That magazine, um, sums up the use of RTEP and other EEIs, which is EMDR Early Interventions, as follows. A major conceptual contribution from EMDR RTEP is that of the trauma episode. This is defined as the onset traumatic event along with all of the ongoing consequences and their sequelae up until the present and possibly including future concerns. It recognizes that very often the fallout and aftermath from the original events are an integral and essential part of processing trauma. Often traumatic stress is ongoing, and so this protocol is especially suited to these clinical scenarios. So this is kind of what I was saying previously, that the trauma episode, it's not just an event. It's an episode which can, which includes all the symptoms, everything that comes out of it, and the sequelae, all the things that follow along, up until the present and possibly including future concerns. So it, it's hitting again on that three-pronged protocol of EMDR, right? Past, present, and future. So yeah, I really think that this is something that you can apply to this intensive model really, really well. So how do I use this in my intensives? Well, first things first, let's talk a little bit about what makes this group of protocols, all these EMDR early intervention protocols, different than standard protocol? So in the recent event protocol, you're kind of flip-flopping back and forth between EMD and EMD little r. If you're not familiar with those terms from your basic training, we're talking about restricted processing. So EMD, eye movement desensitization, no r, is what Francine Shapiro initially came up with in her famous 1989 walk in the park, just desensitization of a memory, maybe like an intrusive image, intrusive somatic experience, without the reprocessing, without necessarily taking something all the way to an adaptive resolution, right? Also means only focusing on a single target and returning to that target every single set. This is really great in an intensive, but in you know any kind of EMDR. If you have someone who... Um, is really, really struggling with one part of a memory like that is just so disturbing that they can't really make a ton of progress on it. EMD can be a way to decrease the intensity of something and that which would then allow you to kind of do other processing beyond that. But if you're sort of getting stuck in one place, EMD and then also the assist, the acute stress system stabilization, whatever. I can I can never remember the acronym for that one. Assist, the Acute Stress Syndrome Stabilization Protocol. That's also really good for decreasing the intensity of um, a specific, really, really intrusive experience. And that one, one of the cool things about the assist is that's sort of where the butterfly hug kind of really 
was not, I don't know if it was invented with that, but the reason that the butterfly hug is used um, in the assist is it's so gentle. And there's also that sort of caring touch piece. So it can really help the nervous system regulate um, in a way that maybe like uh, eye movements or buzzers would feel a little bit too intense. Um, so the butterfly hug is used to that. And EMT can kind of be used in a similar way. So it's to really decrease the intensity of a certain fragment of memory or really like per, like specific moment that's very, very disturbing. So that's EMD. And again, like textbook EMD is you return back to the target with every single set. So you're not letting things go anywhere. You're really focusing on let's desensitize this particular moment before we go anywhere else. And again, maybe not again, but I think <laughs> you probably have glean for me at this point that every client is different, right? You're not going to just be like back to the target, back to the target without being empathic, without resourcing if they need to, without engaging other kinds of um, stabilization that they might need to do. You know, like you're obviously, you're not militant about this, but the idea is the processing is extremely focused on reducing the intensity of one moment, Um, which you can see how that would come up in an intensive, right? Like if there's a specific moment of, a trauma narrative, a trauma episode that just flashes up at every time. It's like a 10 for them, right? Maybe focusing on really, really desensitizing that um, could help the rest of the process go well. EMD little r, lowercase r, is restricted processing. And this is really what happens throughout the RTEP protocol is that you don't return to the target with every single set like you would in EMD. But you don't just let the reprocessing go anywhere and everywhere, all over the map, all over their entire life, as you would do in standard protocol EMD capital R. With EMD little r, you're still trying to stay focused on the general theme, on this traumatic episode, the overall event, and knowing that the recent event likely has a lot of different targets, especially when you're kind of looking at how the traumatic stress persists to the present day. So even that trauma episode is going to have a lot of different targets, which in our tech we call points of disturbance. And you also kind of see EMD coming in there because you're going to focus on each one of those um, points of disturbance. So that's one difference um, that you're going to use EMD and EMD little r primarily. Um, Another difference is that the main, some of the procedures, not the eight phases, but like some differences and elements that are added to the eight phases are not really in the standard protocol. So within or between or interwoven into your phases one and two, you have your client, at least this is how I do it, um, but of course everyone adapts it to their needs and their comfort. You have your client scan in their mind, and I say very quickly, just a few minutes, I always say like the 10,000 foot um, view, the extent of the traumatic episode, starting from the initial event and then all the way up until you're sitting here right now. This is very important, right? That's that idea of the whole episode, the sequelae, which they're here in your office now. There's a reason why they're here. And that's part of that traumatic episode, right? Um, It's because you don't want to believe there could be some stuff that's happened after the episode that's very much related and really needs to be addressed. And you would miss that if you just said, tell me about the event. And then once we've done that, you start running BLS. I usually use buzzers for this, but you can use eye movements. You can use whatever. And have them narrate the entire sequence aloud. But again, I'm saying this is the 10,000 foot view. This is not excruciating detail. And again, this shouldn't take more than a few minutes, right? 10 minutes max, maybe. Theory is that some processing even begins here. 
And this also helps to organize the like fragmented narrative a little bit. Um, and there is some evidence that like you can see some processing. And I've had people say to me after this, like, oh, I already feel a little better. Like it feels better just kind of like getting it out in a way that feels coherent, you know, because we know that trauma memories are really fragmented. But of course, if they're struggling to put it together coherently, you know, you're not going to stop them and be like, what? I don't understand that. Can you go back? It's more about, it's about their process, of course. And then next, what you do next is you ask them to do, <laughs> um, RTEP calls it a Google search, like in their mind, now that they've um, gone through the narrative with the BLS once, all the points of disturbance in the narrative. And you say, once you get to the first point of disturbance, doesn't have to be the first, doesn't have to be the worst, just wherever the brain goes to, we go right into assessment phase three, and then on to phase four, five, six, seven, eight, for that point of disturbance. And then, you know, obviously, going through four, five, six, seven, eight means that you've gotten to a zero, seven clear, or close to ecological zero, or whatever. And then once you've done that, you ask them to Google search again, the next point of disturbance, and on you go. Once you've done all the points of disturbance, and the Google search starts from the beginning again, right? So you're trying to see um, overall how the progress of the entire trauma episode is going. Um, right. <laughs> so you get to your zero seven clear, hopefully, for the entire episode. And, you know, I've had points of disturbance range from like three to ten. Um, and there is sometimes some of that generalizing effect where one of the points of disturbance being um, worked through could mean that something else that they thought was really awful feels less awful. I've also had that happen um, because some of the negative cognitions resolve a little bit. It may have been a negative cognition that felt very similar to another point. Like, for example, I was working with someone who um, had to terminate a pregnancy, a very, very wanted pregnancy for medical reasons late in the pregnancy. Um, it was just heartbreaking. And she struggled with so much guilt um, that this baby would have suffered, suffered so tremendously. It was so, so sick, but such a sick little baby. So a lot of the negative cognition she had was like, I'm a bad mom. It's, you know, I did something awful. And so some of the, um, you know, the points of disturbance were very, very connected. So like reducing the intensity of one had something of an effect on reducing the intensity of a different, of a different moment. Okay, so there's so much here, I know. I just dumped a whole lot of information on you. And I realize there are probably many more questions in your mind now. And also, this is just how I do it. And even I, of course, you know, adapt it as I go. I'm not, I'm not a by the book EMDR therapist, I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say that I have my standard protocols open and I am constantly reciting exactly what I learned in my training. I would say I'm more of a Laurel Parnell attachment focused EMDR person in that I feel like EMDR has to be relational. And that means that, you know, I don't ask everyone the same questions in the same order in the same way all the time. I want this experience to be tailored to the person sitting in front of me. And that's why I think it's really important um, to, you don't have to be certified to do intensives, not at all. There's plenty of people with so much EMDR experience who decide not to get certified. But um, I do think that it helps to be really comfortable with standard protocol before you try an intensive just because you're just so in it with the person and you want to be able to be creative on the spot, innovative, flexible, um, 
So yeah, a little bit off topic there, but that kind of related to like, you know, making this your own, the RTEP, the Pressy, whatever you're using, you want to internalize it to a certain degree and have it feel like it aligns with your style of doing EMDR. And I, again, there are people out there who would glare at me, I'm sure, for this, but just because Francine Shapiro said it was so, doesn't mean that we all have to practice that way. And, and no shade to Francine Shapiro. She's incredible. She gave us this beautiful, groundbreaking model. But I think even she knew that it was a model, right? It had to be standardized so that we could get the world of researchers to be like, yes, this is legitimate. And we are artists. We are creative clinicians, okay? We, are, we adapt to the human being in front of us. So little aside about that. Of course, there are trainings out there that you can take on RTEP and on Pressy and on Assist. They're in person, they're on demand, they have like virtual live trainings, you know, absolutely um, the information is out there. And a lot of these protocols, if you Google them, you can find information about them. So, okay, so that's kind of what the model looks like, sort of an overview. So why do I do this? I think that usually people come to an intensive with somewhat of a specific purpose, Um, and to therapy too. It's not just like, oh, I think I need therapy. I mean, sometimes people do. But I think if you seek out an intensive, an EMDR, you have some sense that there's a reason that you're doing this. And often, you know, people have a very, a very discreet, and I mean that D-I-S-C-R-E-T-E, concrete, like, boundary issue that they, that they want to work on in an intensive. So, like, medical trauma after surgery or an illness, um, traumatic grief after a loved one's passing, being the victim of a violent crime. Um, a sexual trauma, which is also, of course, a violent crime. Um, You know, I have, I did an intensive once with someone who uh, found a friend who had died by suicide. So things like that. All of these lend themselves well to the conceptualization of like, all the things being of a piece that affect you to the present day. I wouldn't necessarily take this approach with someone with severe and complex developmental trauma. And I said this before, it's not that you can't do an intensive with this population. It's just going to look very different. I will talk about that in more detail. That's a future episode at some point. But for the types of situations, like the ones I just mentioned, the thematic kind of of a piece traumatic episode, this method, the RTEP, the whatever, any of the EMDR early interventions really helps to organize the process, both for you and for the client. And it helps the whole experience, I think, feel directed and focused. You're not just like jumping from memory to memory to memory in the same way that you might do a standard protocol. Not that standard protocol isn't amazing, it is. <laughs> but um, I think the focus of, of this approach can be really helpful. And it's certainly been my experience. So I'm going to give you a couple of examples from my clinical practice, of course, without identifying information. And some of these are composite to protect the client identity. So one example of a client who was a first responder, who had a history of recent and past um, suicidal ideation, uh, feeling super overwhelmed with work stress, was taking some time off, also was going through a breakup. And work as a first responder had been going on for over five years. Like this person had been a first responder for a long time. Yeah, at least five years. And they were hospitalized a couple of years ago with SI. And they were still experiencing flashbacks and SI and difficulty with work. And this breakup was kind of exacerbating it. So it was a, it was thematic and it was also like time bound. 
because, you know, a breakup isn't quite the same as job stress or the stress of being a first responder, but it felt like they all were of a piece and they all sort of impacted one another and they all were impacting the present. So we use this approach with that. I've worked with clients who've had difficulty getting pregnant and then maybe a stressful pregnancy and then a traumatic birth and then kind of leading into postpartum depression. So that whole entire um, from maybe like struggling with infertility all the way through postpartum depression was felt like of a piece. And we worked through the different points of disturbance. And, you know, there was a lot of complexity. There's often a lot of complexity in these cases about like, but I wanted this baby so much, you know, how could I be feeling depressed now? But thematically, this theme of like, you know, becoming a parent, what does that mean? What did I think it was going to mean? It's really of a piece and works really well with this approach. And then um, someone with medical trauma, someone who'd had two very severe and very sudden hospitalizations over the course of a couple of years, and those had resulted in worsening panic attacks. And as we did some of the phase one stuff, there were some memories of adolescent trauma and panic attacks in their teens and 20s, and those came up at times. And as relevant, we would we didn't focus on them as points of disturbance we kind of were able to see connections. And then also, like, we contained them and said, well, maybe this would be an area that you could do another intensive on, right? Or with like a weekly EMDR therapist. But that sort of reducing the medical anxiety in particular, was sort of of a piece. So yeah, just a few examples about how I've seen this work really well in my practice. And I'm sure you could think of, you know, cases that you've worked with where this might be really applicable. So what did I talk about? I talked about today about EMDR early intervention protocols, but specifically focus on focusing on RTEP, the recent traumatic event protocol, and how I use this protocol to plan and focus my intensives. I talked about, you know, what even is RTEP? What even is an EMDR early intervention? And then I sort of described a little bit about what this protocol is, you know, how is it similar and different to standard protocol? And then I talk some about why do I use it for intensives? Why does it work so well, I think, for intensives? And then I gave some examples of how I've done that. So I hope you found this helpful. Um, I really hope you can take something from this that you can apply to your own work. Um, In the next episode, we're going to start a series of looking at how the eight phases in an intensive are similar and different considerations that come up. Next week, we're going to start looking at phases one and two. History taking, treatment planning, and resourcing. That will be the next episode. So I'm glad you could join me for today. And if you found yourself feeling like you want to know more about the work that I do or maybe work together, I offer a coaching package that will get you up and running with intensives in just a day. I will download all of my knowledge to you as much as I can in that time. And you'll make back your investment on the first intensive that you offer. And another incentive is that you can count these hours towards certification because I can provide consultation for certification. I also just provide sort of like one-off consultation. It doesn't have to be um, through this offer. So you certainly could contact me about that. If you want to get in touch, you can go to my website, www.futuretemplateparent.com for more details on how to work with me. Um, So I'm really excited to have you join me in the next episode when we start talking about 
phases one and two of intensives and how that plays out in terms of standard protocol versus intensives. And I'm going to continue to bring in kind of a lot of examples that do um, touch on the perinatal and parenting and maternal mental health population because, again, I do want to keep bringing in that parent element. So um, you'll be hearing that coming up a lot too. I hope that you'll listen and catch you then. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Future Template Parent Podcast. I hope you've learned something that can help you move from feeling overwhelmed to energized about your practice and your personal life. You don't have to choose one over the other. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, and please share it with another EMDR therapist who would benefit from hearing this episode. Each review helps us get the message out about how offering EMDR intensives can liberate your practice. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast listening app so you don't miss a single episode. See you next week. Thank you.